recently read uh, J.C. Ryle's autobiography. And he was a bishop, of, uh, a bishop in the Church of England in the 1800s. And, um, and he was born in a very wealthy family. He grew up in the ages of lords and manors and balls and carriages and servants and um, all those things you might think of when you think about English high society in those days. And he was the oldest son, so he was on track to live the life of an English gentleman. He was planning on going to Parliament. He graduated from college, did real well in college. He was going to go into Parliament and live the life of an English gentleman in his big English manor with his servants and his gardens and, and all those types of things. That was until his dad made some bad investments. His dad had taken their money and opened a bank and then was loaning out money to his friends who couldn't pay it back and he had opened up another bank and he was taking money from one bank to pay out the other and there was a run on the money at the time and lost everything. The dad lost all their money and then went into bankruptcy and lost all of his property, all of his house, everything. He said he woke up in the morning, one morning, and all the world was before him. He had all the advantages and privileges of wealth and the privileges that his family name gave him. And by the setting of the sun, he was poorer than the servants who were helping him pack up. That the servants that were there helping him had more money and had more possessions than he did. He, he was destitute. He had nothing except his, the, the clothes that he had and two horses. And he went and he sold his two horses so he could have a little bit of money so he could go and find some place uh, to live. He said, looking back, he wrote this little uh, story for his children. He said, looking back, he could see God's hands in it. That God had used this tragedy and directed him into the ministry and and he could see how God ordained it. He said, but that never did take the pain away. He said, I, I, he felt it to that day, some 40 years, I think, after it had happened, he had still felt the bitterness of, of, of that event. He said he, could never, he never felt at home anywhere in the world after that. He said he was too old a tree to be uprooted and planted somewhere else. And so for the rest of his life, he said he felt like a pilgrim. No matter where he lived, and he got married a couple of times, his, his wife died, he had several children. But no matter where he lived, he said he never really felt at home um, after that in this world. Well, our story wasn't a man who was forced out of his inheritance and lost in everything. Our story begins with a man leaving his inheritance. And he did have an inheritance that was uncertain. Elimelech had an inheritance from God. And when the drought came and the famine came, Elimelech just left it all behind to go to Moab. He left his inheritance. He left his home. He uprooted himself to try to find uh, relief in Moab. He tried to find rest for his family. Here's a man that had uh, two little boys and a wife, and famine struck the land. He said, well, i got to feed him somehow. There's no bread in Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. i got to feed him. So he goes, and he goes to Moab, where they were forbidden to go and forbidden to live. Like I said last week, this is not just like you and I going to find another job. This was a man of Israel, a cov in the covenant people of God. 
who had been given an inheritance, living in the land that God had given them. And the reason that there was famine in the land is because there was sin in Israel. God had warned them in the book of Deuteronomy that if they forsook him and went after gods, then there would be famine. That God would not bless the land flowing with milk and honey. He would, he would shut off the tap, so to speak. And, and there is what had happened. And instead of repenting of his sins with the people of Israel, he left to, to get out from underneath the hand of God. Well, he goes to Moab, and he leaves behind his inheritance. He uproots his family and takes them down into Moab, that land of, of false gods. The wicked god Kamosh, the pagan god worshipped um, in that land, and he takes his family down there um, to, to have a little bit of uh, more in this, in this world. So we start out reading of a tragedy, really, a man leaving his inheritance behind, taking his family into this uh, foreign pagan land. It starts with a famine, not just for Elimelech, but for everybody in Judah. And they leave to go find food in Moab to save their life. But then we start reading after that, it shifts from Elimelech's decision to Naomi's pain. Naomi goes course with her husband and she goes down there and he dies the boys get married and then they die so we're seeing a downward trajectory of this family they leave God's land they leave God's rest and they enter into a pagan land and they, they go to save them lives, their lives but all they find is death and sorrow but then Partway through our, our text we read in chapter number 1, there, were, there was a little shift. And the attention sort of shifts from the downward spiral of Naomi, who had hit rock bottom as an Israelite. She had hit rock bottom as far from um, God as she, she, she could be, now returning back to Israel. But we read sort of the opposite with Ruth. It shifts to the poor Moabitess woman who was born at rock bottom. She was born in Moab, born, raised up, worshiping Kamosh. Her, that paganism was ingrained into her by her family and her family's traditions and that of her people. She was born, alienated, born at rock bottom. And, and through this tragedy... We see her being delivered. And so what we're going to see this morning is the fact that God has saved this, this Moabitess woman and her determination to follow uh, the God of Israel. And we see how the Lord saves her. And uh, I'm titled this message, No Rest in Moab. There's no rest in Moab because that's what it comes down to. There's a decision point halfway through here, when, when Naomi tells her, just go back to Moab. Just go back to Moab, and there you can find what you're looking for. There you'll find rest. But Ruth said, no, there's no rest in Moab. First thing we want to see is in verse number 6, that uh, God keeps his promises. In verse number 6, 
She heard, Naomi heard in Moab how the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Now, it doesn't say specifically here, like it doesn't say specifically that rebellion caused the famine, but we know that it was in the days that the judges ruled. And if you go back and read the book of Judges, you have those cycles where uh, Israel would rebel, God would, would punish them, God would send a judge to deliver them, the people would repent, they would turn back to God, and God would bless them. And it's just a cycle over and over again. So it's in one of those cycles. In the days when the judges ruled, the famine was in the land because of the rebellion of the people. But now, it seems that the people had turned back to God because we have blessing again. There is again bread in Judah. The Lord had visited them and given them bread. So it was God who had restrained the food. It was God who had sent the famine. And it is God who has come back and visited the people and giving them bread. This again is the covenant promises of the people of Israel. God told them that if they would return, he would bless them yet again. If they would repent of their sins, when they would fail, he would again um, uh, forgive them of their sins and and bless them in in that Old Testament covenant. Jehovah had visited his people. The Lord had restored them. The people had returned to the Lord and the Lord blessed them with bread. So it begins... In Bethlehem, the house of bread that had no bread, they leave and they go to Moab, but now the Lord has visited Bethlehem again. He had visited the people of the land and restored uh, the, the food, and now they have food again because the people had returned to the Lord. See, this was Elimelech's whole problem. Instead of running from the chastisement of God, he ran away from God instead of running back to God. Instead of seeking forgiveness and seeking uh, the Lord's grace and his mercy, he said, well, if God's going to bless us, let's just get out of town. The problem with that is they left the only place on earth where they would find the blessings of Jehovah. It was the only place on earth where God's people would find blessing and rest because God had given these particular people that particular land. And he said, I will be with you here. It's interesting, when you read this chapter, you find, um, like in verse number 1, it talks about the country of Moab. Verse number 2, the country of Moab. When it talks about Judah, it talks about, in verse number 7, the land of Judah. They went to a country, a a government, a a group of people. People come and people go, but it was the land that God had given Israel. didn't matter... If it was the days when the judges ruled, it was the land that God gave them. It didn't matter if it was the days when the kings ruled. It was the land that God had given these people. That was their inheritance. And the Lord had promised to bless the people in this covenant, in that land. We can see in this that when Ruth heard that, or Naomi rather, when she heard that the Lord had visited she gets up and, and returns to the Lord. Now, Naomi's very bitter at the first part of this book. She had lost a lot, and she's very, very bitter about uh, the, the hard providences that she lives. But you also see that through this, she keeps on looking to the Lord. She had heard that the Lord had visited. And what she wanted to do, she wants to come back home. 
what she had found was the allure of Moab couldn't satisfy her. I, I couldn't imagine living in a famine such as that. I saw in the news the other day that there might be a ketchup shortage. And, you know, there might be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and rent garments in my house if there's a ketchup shortage. But, but uh, that's hardly a famine, is it? I mean, that, that's just something that uh, we, we enjoy. But, but that's not a famine. We're talking about hungry. We're talking about no food. Starving, hungry. And I, I couldn't imagine having little kids and looking down at them Seeing their ribs. Mama, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. There's nothing to eat. So I, I couldn't imagine that situation. So I, and I can't imagine the lure of Moab. But the devil always shows the bait and hides the hook. He'll always show us the good part. He, he showed Eve the tree and said, oh, isn't it good to look at, good to eat? But there was no satisfaction in Moab. And what Naomi has discovered in, her, in this hard providence that it would have been better for her to suffer with the people of God than to enjoy the momentary pleasures of this life. How can you and I who are in Christ find blessings outside of Christ? Now we're not in a, the, the old covenant of course and we can't one for one this, but, but how can we find blessings outside of Christ? How can we leave Christ and go find something else more satisfying? There's no satisfaction in those things. Naomi said in Elimelech, Moab has bread. But that's all they had is bread. That's all that it was, is bread. And how much is that worth after a while? So she, she has found that there was no satisfaction in Moab. There was no rest for Naomi in Moab. She thought she could go to Moab and find rest, but there was nothing there for her. She lost in everything, and so now she's going back home. She's going back to God. She's going back to the land God had given her people. We can look at this and think, the wayward Christians come home. Dis distant Christians come to Jesus. Oh, how forgiving Jehovah is that Naomi is welcomed back to Judah. She's received back into the people of God. And as we read on, she is blessed beyond measure that the Lord restores this wayward soul. Those who are far can return. Those who have backslidden can come back. Those whose hearts have grown cold can come back to the Lord and find the fatherly provisions. Jesus taught us to pray that our Father would give us our daily bread. Elimelech didn't know that lesson or had forgotten that lesson, but it is God who gives us our daily bread. God provides for our needs. It's not the government, it's not 
Walmart, it's, it's God that provides for our needs. Because God could shut off the rain. He could, I think what has happened in our time that we are so disconnected from, from things that uh, we, because of all the conveniences, like I, I'm not complaining about the conveniences. I thank God for them. But in some regards, it, it does disconnect us from the frailty of life because if you run out of you run out of something, you go to the store and get it. And that, that's where the stuff is, is at the store. Well, we forget sometimes of what's going to happen if there's a drought. What's going to happen if there's no provisions? What's going to happen if um, all the cattle just tip over and die in one afternoon? <laughs> and what, what, what happens to our food? It is God that provides for us. God gives us our daily bread, so we look to him uh, for those provisions. We also need to remember that God, we need to trust in God. So in Matthew 6, verse 25, so right after Jesus tells us to pray that the Father would give us our daily bread, look what he says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought of your, for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, Though yet for your body what you shall put on is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. When the famine hit, Elimelech thought, well, that's all there is in this life is, is what you eat. And what, that, that's all that there is. Well, Jesus tells us we shouldn't be anxious about these things because life is more than that. He said, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for the raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, wherewith shall be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness in all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Elimelech didn't look to the Father for provision. He didn't look for the Father for forgiveness. He didn't look for the Father to restore the land. He didn't seek first the kingdom of God. He didn't seek first the righteousness of God. But he sought first the things that the Gentiles seek. And he went down to the land of the Gentiles. And, and he learned the hard way, as Naomi learned, that there's just no satisfaction in Moab. There's no rest in Moab. So we've looked at this so far, and nobody's talked yet in our, in our book, in our study. And Naomi finally breaks the silence. 
And she does so in sort of a, a stern, urgent way. Go, return. An urgent pleading, go back. Go, go back. Leave. Go on back home. Go back to your mother's house. And it's probably mother's house because you read other places in the scripture, you talk about the mother's house, it's usually talking about something to do with marriage. So probably not that her go back to the house that your mom owns, but she's probably urging him to go back and, and go back to mama and see if she can find you a, a husband. Go back and, and take care of yourself. See if you can get married. And she prays for him that the Lord Jehovah deal kindly with you as he have dealt with the dead and with me. You were good wives to my boys. You were good daughter-in-laws. And I know that you're heading back with me to Judah. But I'm going to release you from whatever obligation that you think that you might have towards me. Because they got up and left and Naomi left. She left her home and Ruth left with her and Orpah left. They all three left and they're somewhere on the road and she just stops. She says, girls, go on back home. Go on back. Lord, bless you. You, you, I love you girls. You've been good daughter-in-laws. But you just need to go back. And she says, the Lord grant you that you might find rest. And in this context, She's talking about finding the husband. And this, this comes back to play a little bit later on in the book. She says, go back that you might find rest. You might find a husband. And she kissed them, and then all, the, all three of these ladies start crying, and they're crying all over each other now. And, and Maybe why Naomi waited till they got in the road before they, they did this, because it had been too much leaving and then they're at the house and they try to talk, no, Naomi, you stay with us. But, but she's just urgently pleading, go back, go on back home. She said, Jehovah bless you with kindness and compassion. Jehovah was the, is the God who cares for the, the orphans and the widows. You read that over and over in the Old Testament that, that the Lord protects the, the widows and the, the fatherless. And she prays that Jehovah would bless them and that he would be compassionate and kind to them. See, Naomi knows that God is a merciful God. And even though her words are hard and her words are bitter, she still knows the truth about who God is. He is a merciful and kind God. He says, you go find rest. Now in the Old Testament, rest is used several different ways. Um, whenever the Philistines took the ark, remember the Philistines took the ark and then David gets it and it comes, brings it back to, uh, to Jerusalem. And the Bible talks about the ark found rest. And that it was a settled place of God's worship. It found a home. The Bible talks about rest in the promised land. That the children of Israel would go and find rest there in the land God had given them. And it was a relief from weariness, a relief from wandering, rest from their enemies. So, uh, 
as one uh, commentator defined it, rest in the Old Testament is just a permanent settlement, a security, a freedom from anxiety and wandering and uncertainty and pain. It's primarily something that only Jehovah gives. And why Naomi is going back to the land that God had given her because that's where she can find rest. And she turns from her to her daughter-in-laws and says, you go on back to Moab and you find a husband. And there you can find rest. Because it's not like you can just go and put your resume in and, and find you a job once we get there. These are different kinds of days that they're living in. And you got two Moabitess girls coming into a land where the, the, the guys were not supposed to be marrying the Gentile girls. And they're not just going to be able to go and find, find them a job and take care of themselves. They're going to be reliant upon the mercy of the people in the land they're going to. They don't have any land. They don't have any prospects of buying a place. They're going to be at the mercy of the Israelites. And Moab and Israel just didn't get along. We got two warring states colliding here. And this Moabitess girl, girls are going to go and without husbands, without any uh, certainty for the future. And so Naomi is kind of speaking from a practical point of view here. She says, the best thing for you girls to do is just go back home, settle down, Find a, a man to love you. Be at peace. Be free from the anxiety of widowhood. Be free from the anxiety of, of leaving home and going to Judah and all the mess that's going to come if you, you come with me. I want you to be blessed. I mean, she prays for him. That God would bless him. I want you to have security. I want you to have peace. I want you to have a, a good life. I'm sorry these things have happened to you. She, she says, I wish it hadn't happened to you. But you need to go back. Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? She said it again. Go, return, turn again, go back. You notice she keeps saying it over and over. Turn again, go back. There's nothing that I can give to you. Well, the girls protested and said, no, we're going to go back with you. No, return. Go back. Well, Naomi said, I, I don't have anything to offer you. If you're going to find rest, if you're going to find a husband, you need to go back to Moab. I'm too old to have children. But, and even if I could have children. She said, what if I got married today and then I, then, um, I was with child tomorrow? I'd have to have two sons. And even if um, I wasn't too old to have any more kids, I would have to have sons. And then I'd have to have two sons. And then you're going to have to wait until they grow up, until they're old enough to marry. Then you're going to have to hope they want to marry you. The likelihood that I'm going to be able to provide for you in Judah, or that you would have somebody to marry there, is close to zero. I have nothing for you. I'm going back to my inheritance, but I'll have no heir. The heir to the, the family, they're all gone. I'm alone, and there's nothing there I have to offer you. Verse 13, in the latter part of that, she said, It grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. 
I think that Naomi feels the guilt here. I think that she understands what happened. And this is her saying, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And I know why the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And not only has it struck me, not only has it struck my husband, but my sons and you as well. And I'm sorry that that has happened. But if you come back with me, I've got nothing to give you. Naomi affirms that the hand of God is in this tragedy. So we see that she's not forsaking God. I think she just sees what happened when she's tried to find rest in Moab. I think she sees herself as cursed. And to go with her is just to live in trouble forever. She blames herself for the girl's miseries. And she said, you'd be better off just staying away from me. Well, you read in verse number 9 where um, she kissed them, her daughter-in-laws, and then they lifted up their voices and wept. She tells them to go back home, find rest. And then in verse number 14, you see it's the opposite, where they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpha uh, kissed her mother-in-law. That's, um, that's called a chiasm. It's where you have the, the same thing happen only in reverse. So if the uh, kissing is A and weeping is B, you have A, B, then B, A. And in Hebrew, that sort of shows you a closure. It kind of puts a brackets on things. And so Orpah kisses her mother and it kind of closes out their relationship. She's sitting there listening. You know, she was headed out to Judah. She was going to go. But then she thinks, you know, that's a sensible thing to do. My mother-in-law is a wise woman. And though it's painful, that's the practical thing. I'm just going to go back, listen to her, and start over. Despite her starting out right, despite her tears, Orpah didn't really believe that there was anything worth having in Judah. There wasn't anything for her there. And she said, you know, Naomi's right. If I'm going to find rest, if I'm going to find peace, I'm going to have to go back to Moab. Because after all, that's what I... I know the people there. I know the customs. I know the culture. I know my family's there. I know the religion. Jehovah's a good God and all, but she's right. If I'm going to have anything in this world, I need to listen to her and go. Go back home. She just kept saying it. Go back. Go back. And Orpah said, okay, I think I will. What you see here is a woman that never really believed, did she? She never did have faith in God. She never did have faith in Jehovah. It was all um, very emotional. And I'm sure she's a very nice lady. Very good wife. But she didn't know Jehovah. She didn't know the God of Israel. And now she returns and goes back and walks away. Much like the rich young ruler, when Jesus told him he's going to have to sell everything and follow him, they walked away sad. She um, walks away. She goes back home. In verse 14, there's a, there's a, here's the change that I was talking about. Orpah walked away, but Ruth claved to her. She stuck by her. 
She clings to her. She abides with Naomi. And Ruth was determined. She was not going to leave. She was going back to Judah. Well, again, Naomi. Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people, and to her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. Again, go back. Return. She's urging. She's pressing her. Just go back. Your sister-in-law, listen to me. She's going back. She's going back to her people. She's going back to her gods. Just go back and find rest. Go back with your sister-in-law. She's one of your own people. Go back to Moab. They are your people. Go back to Kamosh. Go back to your gods. That's what you've known. That's what your parents taught you. That's what you've always had. Go back there. That's where you'll find rest. So what's Ruth going to do? She's standing there. She ha- her husband's dead. She's standing here being chided by her kind of bitter mother-in-law. She's saying, I'm the only person that you know. I'm the only person you're going to know when we get there. And I'm telling you right now, there's nothing I can offer you. I'd rather you just go back. What's she going to do? Maybe she looks at Moab and then she looks down the other direction. Ruth says in verse 16, Entreat me not to leave thee or return from following after thee. Well, Ruth turns it back on her. Naomi just said, go back, return, go back. And she says, not only no, but she says, would you stop trying to talk me out of this? Stop trying to get me to leave you. Stop trying to get me to stop going and following you. I am not going back. I am not going to quit following after you. Because I'm going to go where you go. I will not return back to Moab. But where you lodge, that's where I'm going to lodge. And I'm not going to go back to my people. Because those people are not my people anymore. Your people are my people. I can't go back to Moab because those people aren't mine anymore. The only people in the world I have are people I don't even know. Your people are my people now. And I won't return to Kamosh. I will not return to that pagan god. Because your god is my god. And I'm not just speaking this in the height of a moment. In the height of emotion. Because where you die, that's where I'm going to die and be buried. And then she swears to Jehovah. And swears an oath to Jehovah. That God strike her dead if she doesn't fulfill this oath. I will go, and I'm not just going to go till you die. I'm not going to follow you back and make sure you get back safely. Then when you die, come back home. I have cut ties with Moab, finally, fully, and forever. And when you die, if you die the week after we get there, then I'm going to be a widow in Judah for the rest of my days because I have forsaken Moab and renouncing everything to follow you back to the land of Jehovah. One commentator said, you can't minimize the sacrifice and pain involved here. She's willingly abandoning her family her familiar surroundings, her religion, 
to take on an uncertain future with a bitter widow in a land that she knows no one would enjoy few legal rights and face possible ethnic prejudice because she's a Moabitess. And that's what she's chosen. Why did she choose that? Because there was no rest for her in Moab. There was no rest for Ruth there. Naomi says, go back to Moab and find rest. She says, there is nothing here. And you of all people, Naomi, should know that there's no rest in Moab. There might be a husband there, but there is no rest for me. There might be food there, but there's no rest for me. There might be the familiarity of family there, but there's no rest for me. Ruth swears an oath in the name of Jehovah that she will not go back because she now has faith in the God of Israel. She's renounced the Moabite way of life and is by profession at least and by faith an Israelite. Even though her citizenship, you know, she's called the Moabitess. She's going on no promise of blessing, no assurance of provision, no earthly reason to follow Naomi whatsoever. She's just going on faith that God keeps his word. Here's a Gentile girl who's now trusting in Christ, trusting in Jehovah. It seems to be kind of shocking to Naomi and maybe maybe this is the first time that she's confessed her allegiance to Jehovah. But at some point, what's interesting to me is one point, at some point she's heard about God. But from who? Well, maybe her husband, maybe her father-in-law, maybe Naomi. But somebody in this family told her about God and told her that Jehovah was a savior of sinners. Someone told her about Jehovah. Someone told her that he is a merciful God. Someone told her that he keeps his promises. Someone told her of the covenant. Someone told her he was a redeemer of Israel. That he was a merciful God. That he was a savior. Someone told her, even in this backslidden family, someone told her about God. And whatever they told her, she believed and some point along the way, the Lord gave Ruth eyes to see and a heart to, to believe. And here she confesses, I can't go back to Moab. There's nothing for me there. I've heard too much about Jehovah. I've heard too much about the covenant-keeping God and the land of, of Judah. I can't go back to those wicked pagan gods. Ruth wasn't in a bad position of going downward. She started off down. She started off at rock, rock bottom, much like Paul said to us in Ephesians 2. Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who were called the uncircumcision, by that which is called the circumcision, the flesh made by hands. That at this time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, 
strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Ruth started out like that. Naomi had left the covenant promises and lost the blessings that she had. Ruth never had any to start with. She was an alien, a stranger, far from the covenants of promise. No hope in this world, without God in this world. And here Naomi is saying, just go back. Go back to Moab. Go back and find rest. Ruth said, what do I have in Moab? The only rest I can find is in, is in Jehovah. I can only find rest for my soul with the people of God. In verse 18, when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go, then she left speaking unto her. She gives her this speech and it left an impression on her. And there's this long silence. In fact, you don't hear anybody talking in our story until they get back to Bethlehem. So I don't know if she gave her the silent treatment all the way back, but it was quiet for a while. Through the tears, Ruth said, I am going to follow the Lord. I am following you. I am casting my lot with the Lord of glory. I am steadfast. I will follow the Lord. Maybe this did leave an impression on her. And you know that because in chapter number 2, um, in verse number 11, uh, Boaz said, has been fully showed me all that thou hast done in thy mother-in-law since the death of thy husband, how thou hast left thy father and mother into the land thy nativity, and art come into a people which thou know, knewest not heretofore. Well, how does Boaz know about that? Because Naomi's just telling everybody. This left an impression on her. It may have convicted Naomi. Maybe on the way back she thought, you know, I told Ruth to do the same thing that I did. To go back. And here this little Moabitess girl, this poor, wretched little girl, has nothing in the world. Is going to forsake everything to follow the Lord. Well, she's got faith. Faith, and God has given her grace and faith. Will they make it back to Bethlehem? People said, is that Naomi? It's been over a decade since they saw her. Naomi's name means lovely or pleasant. She kind of laughs. Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. Because the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Well, of course, nobody calls her that. Um, they, They continue to call her Naomi. But she walks back into town Naomi, it's wonderful to see you. Is that you? I haven't seen you in so long. Don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. Because God has dealt bitterly with me. I went out full. And the Lord brought me home again. Man. Why call me pleasant? Seeing the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. 
full of sorrow. And there, poor Ruth is right there with her. She says, I've come back empty. And, you know, there she is standing there with her. And then the narrator comes back in verse 22, and he's back to tell us what's going on. So Naomi returned Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. Just a few things here before we close, but you notice there, return. Naomi returned back to Bethlehem, or Ruth had, it said. She's back to Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the house of bread. And so it, it sort of brackets it. They were in the house of bread to start with, and there was famine. And now they come back, and there's bread again in the house of bread. So we learn that the famine is over. God has supplied the needs. God has kept his promises. The chapter began with a famine and a departure and ends with a return and a harvest. And one man said the echo of these two voices got Ruth casting her lot with Naomi in Israel, the bitter voice of Naomi casting stones of protest at Jehovah's perceived injustice. Naomi is the dark, downward spiral of famine and death, and Ruth has the slight upward trend of plenty in life. There was no rest in Moab. There was no rest in Moab, but there was rest in Judah. In Deuteronomy 12, In verse number 5 it says, But the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even this habitation shall you seek, and hither shall thou come. There's a place where God has chosen to put his name. In verse number 10, But when you go over Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God giveth you to inherit, and when he giveth you rest from all your enemies round about, so that you shall dwell in safety. Then there shall be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. Thither shall you bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offering, and all the choice vows you vow unto the Lord. There they will find rest in the land of God. Verse number 9, You are not as come yet to the rest and the inheritance which the Lord God has given you. For the people of God, there was no rest in Moab. God had given them a place of rest, a place of safety, a place of provision. Not the country of Moab, but the land of Judah. A place where God would dwell, a place where his tabernacle would be, where he would be worshipped. There was no rest in Moab because God wasn't there. You won't find rest in Moab. You won't find it apart from Christ. You won't find it in jobs or entertainment or music or hobbies. There's only rest in God. There's only rest in Christ. And that's why Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will provide for you. I will give you salvation and security and, and provision and all that your soul needs. I will provide for you. There's no rest in Moab. And Ruth has discovered this as God had saved her soul and, and seen that there was no rest for her there in that Gentile land. The only place that she would find rest is with God. And by faith, she longed for a place that she had never seen and to a God that she had not known. 
because she believed by faith there in God's land, in God's people, there by grace she would find rest. There is no rest in Moab, but there is rest in Christ. And I pray this morning that you, you know that peace and you know that rest in, in Christ. Let's stand.